Intersection is brought to you by Touchpoint Media Network, podcast dedicated to discussions on all things healthcare. Learn more at touchpoint.health. Maybe we all don't recognize each of us lives in subsidized housing. So if you're a homeowner or you're a renter, you check that subsidy box either at the beginning or the end of the process. Each of us as a homeowner is benefiting from the national, from our structure and our system that's been built, meaning that we get a mortgage interest tax deduction. And if you just stand back and look at housing overall in the United States, We pay far more subsidy to our homeowners, people like you and me, than we do to our households who may need it the most. Welcome to Intersection. I am Bobby Ratu, storyteller. What's your greatest passion? I would say my greatest passion is connecting with people and trying to see the way the pieces can come together for whatever that need might be presented or trying to like link the you know connect the dots like I I really love you know I meet you and I hear about something you're passionate about and I meet someone else that may have they're looking for someone to help in that area and I'm like oh I can connect that and so maybe being a connector to help people interesting so introduce yourself who are you I am Susan McClarty, and we are at United Ministries, which is where my office is located, and I'm the coordinator of the Greenville Homeless Alliance. Okay, so when I did the basic Dr. Google research of you, which I love Dr. Google because Dr. Google helps us so much with our children, it came up and said, you are the Greenville's first homeless coordinator. What does that mean? What is Explain that to me. Yes, there. <laughs> it's basic, you know. It's basic. What is that? No, I don't think maybe we talk about that quite enough because some of us that have been at this work, and there's others that have been at this work longer than I have, focusing in on homelessness, have said since around 2015 that we needed to have a person in the community whose job it was to wake up every day thinking about how are we solving this in Greenville, specifically solving homelessness. And so a part of what was put forward to the community in 2015 was saying, we need a homeless coordinator. And you can see it was a length of time before I was hired. And that would just speak to, it's a, it took a real grassroots effort to get us to where we are today. And it takes the, the significant players being committed to thinking in different ways, working together in new ways, and kind of shifting the thinking of the community in a new way. How, how does Greenville get to a place to realize that they need a homeless coordinator? That's just something that doesn't come out of the sky one day and says, hey, we should hire this person. No, right. there has to be mm-hmm. some sort of discernment. There has to be something that happened along the way in Greenville's narrative that revealed this opportunity or this need. Maybe Dr. Google told you a few hints, but (laughs) if not, there is still a very good series of articles that were written by the Greenville News around the 2014 timeframe that ultimately highlighted an encampment that was known to be there and that 
our frontline service providers were actively working with the people living in that small encampment. And so that was under the Pete Hollis Bridge. But once the story was exposed to the community, there were many well-minded Greenvillians who said, oh my goodness, I did not know that people were living under this bridge. And so they started to bring out what they thought were helpful items, which we sometimes just will call that out and say, often that becomes toxic charity. Yep, read the book. Yes, there's a great book on that whole subject. And so what happened under that bridge was as more and more items arrived from well-meaning people, the population living under the bridge grew and it ultimately became violent. And so some of the people who would first live there peacefully ended up in the hospital and seriously injured from the violence that came about as a result of people like us trying to think we were being helpful. When I first read the title, your title, um, I have visuals in my mind of a homeless coordinator is someone who probably goes onto the streets and coordinates someone a place to stay. But that's not probably true. It sounds like you're the great connector of bringing people together. Talk about that role in such a growing area in between two major growing areas, north and south of us, and what does that mean to really get in a grassroots area to bring people together to have this conversation? Right. Well, having a an alliance like this focusing on homelessness definitely helps us say to the community and for help others to understand homelessness can't be solved by any one government entity, by any one organization, and so it takes all of us coming together, and, and if you care about people and view all people as created equally, and since I'm a Christian, I'll say in the image of God, then we have to work between all of our government entities. And, you know, the city of Greenville is 65,000, approaching 70,000. The county, you know, is approaching 500,000. So how do we coordinate those efforts? And also the, the we have a really strong caring, giving community, which means we do have a lot of resources. But I would say in the voice of someone who experienced homelessness saying it's, you should make it more simple. It's a really hard, complicated system if you're the one experiencing homelessness. So that's where that connecting the dots, we're trying very hard just to look at how do we bring new partnerships together to address where we see true gaps in our overall system and where do we have really strong weaknesses like the transit conversation is such an example that we've been saying for over five years we need to improve our public transportation system here in Greenville but because most of us don't really see how that affects us on a day-to-day you know uh, circumstance then it becomes hard to mobilize the community to to tell our elected officials that you can help fix this and that's what growing cities do to help everyone you know improve their quality of life it's not just for someone who maybe is experiencing homelessness so that's been a big part of I think from some of the crisis situations, I'll say that birthed the Greenville Homeless Alliance, which it started with Tent City. Yep. That was the first time 
county and city and service providers came together and worked collectively to address a situation. And then we had a second uh, situation, which is in the what we call the homeless triangle. And so we did a lot of work there again, because we don't think about when we cross the city or the county line, but it's very much in that area. And so we had to bring city, county together, as well as businesses, neighbors, neighborhood associations, and homeless service providers, and talk about this in a different way. And then we had the shutdown of the economy in. And so we see that each time we're addressing these crisis situations, we're increasing the partners coming together to better connect those dots. And so what we point to is with the motel closure, we were able to put together a response plan. So there was a actual motel that closed. That's right. Cool. And 100 people effectively lost their home on one of the coldest nights in January 2018. Mm. That's tough. Yes. And our shelters, because it was the coldest night and because, again, we're a growing region, as you've pointed out, the shelters were all full, even the cold weather, which we call the cold weather overflow beds, also open up when mm -hmm. it's cold. And those were also full. So people right. literally yeah. had nowhere to go. And the motel was closed as night started. Where do I play in this? You know, what's my role? Mm -hmm. You know, I sit on my comfortable couch with my three children. Um, I can turn the heat on. Um, I don't have to worry about it if it rains. Um, there's a sense of security with a place of knowing where my address is. Um, there's all these things that are factors of homelessness or home, having a home. But what is really the definition of homelessness? How do you define homelessness? Is it by the type of people? Is it the many different faces? What, how do you define it? because it is such a complex word. Right, so we have started to say it's a person or a family that lacks an adequate nighttime residence, mm -hmm. which one way you can say that is, is if you don't have a key to open your own front door, then you could be considered homeless, and a key being to a actual home that has a kitchen has bedroom you right. know has because what the motel highlighted was that we have many families because we lack housing that's affordable to the income that of the jobs they're working in have had to make a motel room their home and because as a country we lack affordable housing really across our country like it's not mm -hmm. we're not unique let's say we're not unique in that deficit but the the national definition of homelessness and those federal dollars that come into our community to address it mean that I would have to be sleeping literally on the street mm -hmm. or in somewhere not meant for human habitation to mm -hmm. be considered homeless under that again like federal national definition so our we've defined it to be broader and more inclusive, which actually aligns with how our school system looks at homelessness. How do they look at it? That's interesting. The same way. So the same way that we do, meaning gotcha. that if you are K 
couch surfing. Some you'll, you'll hear mm-hmm. that term, which means maybe I'm staying a few nights with a friend or a family member, mm-hmm. or if I'm in a motel, mm-hmm. or if I'm in a shelter, or literally on the street, or living in my car. All those are considered to be homeless. I've done so much work in the domestic violence arena. I've done a lot of work in areas where individuals are trying to get to a better place, but homelessness creates lots of barriers, specifically like having an address, which doesn't allow you to get a driver's license, which doesn't allow you to get access to get credit. Talk about the barriers that a homelessness population in Greenville are up against just to do basic things from your perspective. The largest barrier we would say is income. Mm -hmm. And so what we, you know, within the county, we have data now to say if you're working in a job that's paying you less than $15 an hour, roughly, it's going to be basically difficult to not even possible to access housing in our county. And so... Especially the metro area, like mm-hmm. the urban area. Right. And in the city, it jumps up. Right. You need to be working about above $22 an hour. Wow. That's hard. So that's hard when we built an economy that's based on service jobs right. and around tourism. And a lot of the work that I've been following, what you do in a lot of the areas here in Greenville, is this conversation of transit. Mm-hmm. And there's not adequate transit for that population to go from affordable housing to the job. And so there's a lot of areas that are just struggling to figure out how do you create a master plan? How do you serve these populations? Um, what are some of the things that are starting to pop up as Greenville's having these conversations that have become big wins uh, to help um, move Greenville forward? Can you, can you, I know something just happened the other day, so I'd love for you to share. Right. So we just had a big win that the county has put $4.5 million into their budget for the upcoming two-year budget cycle. So right. that's one huge win You're because right. they were they've been previously at about five hundred thousand annually uh, in contributions to the operating funds for Greenlink. Mm-hmm. So, and Greenlink's basically the transportation for Greenville. Correct. Right. Our, tra- our public transportation system and the city has also done their part. So we already knew what the city was putting forward, and now that we know the county is doing this, we know that Greenlink can offer service now until eleven thirty p.m. And they'll continue with the same, that's just expanded their hours. But for someone working, it means you can get to all three shifts now using our public transportation system. So there was a story from someone that was interviewed once this was announced that's working downtown as a dishwasher, and he was able to get to his job. But when he got off, he had to pay for a cab to get Mm. home. And so that's a lot more expensive. And then that takes away from him being able to afford his housing, his food, his medicine, his other, you know, necessities of life. Um, Something I wanted to kind of go to, if it's okay, is how does one from the Presbyterian church that worked in, I guess, I would assume a ministry, find themselves in this place? 
how have you always had a population I mean a, a, a passion for this type of work or what led you in this direction I've often asked myself that question <laughs> <laughs> do you ask yourself that every day yeah. uh, I would say that I've I've definitely can look back and say I've enjoyed seeking a, a kind of some starting something new mm-hmm. like seeing that something either didn't exist or uh, was created to exist that was new and having a role in maybe shaping that mm-hmm. so I came to this area as a graduate of NC State working in textiles and so came here to work in automotive textile design right is in the kind of the tail end of the textile. I mean, it was tailing the textile heyday, but I worked for Millican. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I found myself finding a church that really spoke to me and my husband, and we got very involved, which meant I got into the inner workings and, you know, being on a lot of committees and finding myself on a committee creating a job that I ultimately took. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, and and for me, it was also about the timing just presented itself that we had our first child and I was looking for a balance in my work-life world, and this was a, an opportunity to do that as well. So that was able to get me, you know, into Greenville, working in the church, and really trying to figure out how to connect the members of the church into living out their faith through involvement in, in mission that the mm-hmm. church Um, was involved in. So I, through that work, worked with a lot of great organizations like Habitat for Humanity, Mm -hmm. um, Homes of Hope, and United Ministries, (laughs) and others that the church was involved with. Right. Uh, So because of that, and that really some of these early conversations, it was the faith community who said, wow, something is all, you know, happening in Greenville that around the housing that maybe we could come together and think about what is it we could do because the toxic charity book had come out and you know there's just good conversations happening around what's the right thing to do and so i found myself from that participating with the city's affordable housing report and it just kept going from there Uh, i think for me i had what i tell some people was this aha moment of driving through the Pleasant Valley neighborhood with um, Alan Kirk, who runs Allen Temple Redevelopment Corporation, and him stopping his truck in front of one of the homes that they built in that community and saying there was a single mom who lived there with two children, and she really couldn't quite afford the rent that they needed to charge, but she'd had stable employment with Furman working in the housekeeping area for over about eight years at that time. So he thought they were willing to take a risk and offer her a little bit lower rent than what they needed to typically ask. And because she had stable employment with such a good local employer, Mm -hmm. um, that that was how she found her way to get a really nice rental home through Allen Temple that matched her income. And at the same time that we had and saw that, you know, real face on an issue, the city released their report, which said, we have 2,500 homes that we need like this. Wow. 
And so I thought, why that's not? just, you know, why not? Why, like... I would love to know from you, an interesting conversation we're having is um, domestic violence and homelessness. That's a tough one. Mm-hmm. People, women that go through transitional housing that stay in a safe house and then they find themselves, oh, I got out. Now where do I go next? That's a tough topic. Um, What are your thoughts around that? And what do you think the future of that conversation looks like? Domestic violence contributes to many uh, cases of homelessness. And so I think we have some good work happening uh, in Greenville and it really comes back to, we think, the power of this joining collective voices together because when you have that huge deficit of homes, then people are, it becomes hard to be hopeful, right? If you're in that situation, like you may escape it, but where are you going to land ultimately and have permanent stability? Yep. So I think that really will help in creating that political will right. by having the joined voices and ex- continuing to expand this conversation. But we need like serious dollars. We need serious dollars and more policy work to benefit right. people who've experienced levels of trauma that you and I have no idea what that yes. would do or, and means to someone's life. So it's really, so it sounds like to me, it's really Greenville and places that are fighting homelessness just need a portfolio of property and find access to that property that's affordable. Um, I see different groups that are trying to find these different ways of placing affordable housing with uh, in, in mixtures of areas. How do you zone? How do you work with the city planning to when you're trying to grow to make these mixed pop, uh, available properties? so that people have access in all different areas. That's a, how do you do that? I mean, once again, I kind of go back to homelessness is overwhelming for me. Right. Some good things are happening there that again, partners coming together who bring resources and also uh, the ability to, to look at the policy side, but we have had conversations and education on what's called missing middle housing. And it fits right into what I talked about earlier with our comprehensive plan. But if you Google missing middle, it's basically boils down to today in our market, we have sort of two choices. You can build a single family home Mm -hmm. or you can have an apartment. Prior to zoning laws, so way back when like Greenville was first built and in my neighborhood, you can see lots of examples of this because it was prior to the zoning laws being enacted in, in cities. You had different types and sizes and structures built within a neighborhood. So think about quadplexes, duplexes, single family homes, multifamily homes. Uh, So we're we're looking at uh, in the city through an intern that they had has done a study on my neighborhood, which is the North Main area to look at what are those structures that are in place and also is very well connected with the streets and sidewalks. So very walkable, bikeable, drivable transportation, uh, public transportation is also very accessible and use that information as we're developing the comprehensive plan. So we can change the zoning 
laws that we so we just don't have that ability but we think with that kind of work right. and we're working with a, a national firm to help us do that throughout the city and the county right so the um, realtors association is part of this work mm-hmm. and the home builders association so really seeing this you know large collaborative network which will open up opportunities to be more inclusive that's cool and cities are doing this and being able to make it profitable you know, huh. right? So that's it. like, so there's just different ways to achieve affordability. Right. And there's also benefits that, you know, families can achieve by having a family member live near them. You know, you can have what's called accessory dwelling units, which are not permittable today in our city or our county. But sometimes you see the young family move into the house and the parents of that, who are now the grandparents, move into the small structure. You know, so there's. Yep. Just a lot of creative things out there that we simply can't do today. What has been the greatest challenge of your work? That's a tough one to a- answer, I know. I mean, I, I realize people listen, and you've got to be careful with, with what you say is the greatest challenge. But there has to be a challenge in front of you to be able to come in and do your work every day. Right. Mm, the biggest challenge. I would say could be summed up in that maybe we all don't recognize each of us lives in subsidized housing. So if you're a homeowner mm-hmm. or you're a renter, it you check that subsidy box either at the beginning or the end of the process. Right. So I don't want to get too into it, but just to say that each of us as a homeowner is benefiting from the national, right, from our structure and our system that's been built, meaning that we get a mortgage interest tax deduction. Mm-hmm. And if you just stand back and look at housing overall in the United States, we pay far more subsidy mm-hmm. to our homeowners, people like you and me, than we do to our households who may need it the most. Interesting. And so how can we flip that? Is it, how do we put that on ground level to start seeing it through that lens so that we can look at individuals, whether they're homelessness or not, that we're all part of this bigger play, I guess? Well, I think, you know, there's a lot of ways to do that. Telling stories is very effective. And so if we think, you know, that there's a child that's in your school district. If you knew what's happening, you know, with that trend, we hope tells a story. We have 84 different schools in Greenville County out of just about 100 who had one or more child experience homelessness last school year. Wow. So 1,089 children. Are in, homeless. Right last school year and we will get the new numbers for this school year at the end of June and we've been told it's it's up. It's not going in the right direction at this point. So it's causing that. So it goes back to if we value that everyone has a roof over their head at night, then we have to figure out how to make that affordable to the income. Yep. And that's where we don't have enough today to make that happen. So when I say each of us has lives in subsidized housing, 
you know, the big one of the big pushbacks to get really significant funds rolling is usually requires raising taxes. Yep. Or issuing something like a bond referendum, which mm-hmm. also would increase taxes. So we have to be okay then knowing that we're benefiting and someone else is homeless. Right. And that would be a child we're talking about in this case who ultimately someday we want to be part of our workforce. Right. And have, you know, if we care about what happens to us and our children, we have to care about just as much what happens to everyone else in our community. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. Intersection is powered by Touchpoint Media Network, podcast dedicated to discussions on all things healthcare. To learn more, go to touchpoint.health. That is touchpoint.health.